Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. I um, didn't used to look forward to the kind of messages that I'm about to bring to you today, but I do now. Uh, God has changed me on this one, and I'll get to that in a moment. But uh, this is week six of uh, Habitudes, and we've been looking at these habits, attitudes, put it together. You've got this word habitude, which is a real word, and it's basically just a kind of a way of living in such a way that we build things into our life which help us become the kind of people we want to become and the kind of people that God wants us to become as well. And so we looked at the habitude of growth. We looked at courage. We looked at gratitude. We looked at having a a healthy diet. Last week, uh, for any of you that came to Rowley or Hagley, because I know we were shut here because of the fun run, we looked at the habitude of connection. And, and, and to finish it up, I thought to myself, what, what's the big finish to this series? What's the, what's the one thing that you and I think about the most, but talk about the least? Sex. Got to be sex, doesn't it? Some of you are looking at me like I'm going out. That's the thing that we think about the most, but, but we talk about the least. Well, at least in church, that's true. Well, it used to be true, and I remember for me, growing up in church, that we never used to talk about sex at all. In fact, when I was a teenager, or maybe mid-teens, I remember um, being in the church that I was at at the time, and it was a, we'd had this kind of weekend, it was a women's weekend, an older women's weekend, and uh, I remember sitting in there as a teenager thinking, this is dreadful. They'd had a thing on the Saturday, and then the, the woman speaker, now the woman speaker was ill, so they brought in another woman speaker, so she was like off the bench onto the, okay, understand? And so she stayed over for the Sunday. And I remember as a teenager, sat in the congregation, and this woman said, you know, thank you for having me at last minute. I know I wasn't the original choice, but I've come, blah, blah, blah. And then another lady got up who was organizing the weekend, and she said these immortal words. She said, I'm sure you'll agree that Mabel has stepped in at the last minute, and what a wonderful prostitute she has been. The word she was looking for was substitute. And I remember as a teenager thinking, talking about something interesting and exciting. Guys, we're not talking about sex. There's something else that you and I think about even more than sex that we still don't want to talk about, and it's money. We want to talk about the habitude of money management. What the Bible calls this, okay, and what the kind of technical word for this, if you like, is the word stewardship. And if you look in the, in the dictionary, stewardship is the job of taking care or supervising something. Now, if you're a guest this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're not sure whether God exists, you're not sure you're into this whole Christian thing, all right, you're really welcome. A lot of what I want to say this morning, hopefully it will help you because it's practical and I think it's true. So whether you believe in God or not, if this is true, it will help you. But I am talking primarily this morning to those who say that they're followers of Jesus. So if you're not sure that you're a follower of Jesus, here's the great news. This morning, you can sit back and relax. And you can look around you to those who say they are followers of Jesus because they're the ones that are going to be squirming this morning. And what I'd like you to do is when you see someone near you who's squirming, I'd like you just to put your hand up. No, I'm only joking. Okay, don't do that. But you can basically just sit back and relax. But those of you that say that you are a follower of Jesus, listen up. This habitude is so important. And it's part of what you and I say we signed up to. It's part of what we say we believe in if we say that we're a follower of Jesus. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, here's the question for you. First question. As a follower of Jesus, how much of what we have belongs to us? 
Come on, you got to, 9.30 was so much more responsive than you are. As a follower of Jesus, how much of what we belong, what we have actually belongs to us? How much of it? Nothing. Fantastic. So as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to have to work hard this morning. As a follower of Jesus, how much of what we have, okay, actually belongs to God? Everything. Okay, this is like pantomime in a minute now, isn't it? I'm going to work my socks off and get it going. Okay, so as a follower of Jesus, what we believe stewardship teaches us is that our job is to take care or supervise whatever God has given us. We are not the owners. We are the managers. We are the stewards. It all belongs to God. The habitude of stewardship or money management is key. Stephen Covey, a leadership writer, says, Our habits make or break us. We are what we repeatedly do. Not what we do, what we repeatedly do. Jesus spoke more about money or possessions than heaven, hell, worship and prayer. And he did it not because he wants something from us. God does not need your money or my money. God wants something for us. And he knows the relationship between money and chains and slavery and fear and anxiety are so great and strong that he wants something for us. He wants us to handle money in a way that brings honour to him and brings freedom for us. So I'm going to answer this question, why does Jesus speak more about money than anything else? And I'm going to do it unusually this morning. I'm going to use this question. And this is the question. If your money could talk, what would it say? If your money right now in 2019 could talk, what would it say? And I want to give you three ideas. Number one, I think it would say this. I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. I can add meaning to your life, your money would say, but I'm not the meaning of life. You see, money is a means to an end. That's what makes it meaningful, okay? It's the same with anything. It's what makes it meaningful is that it's a means to an end. And so the resources that we've got, our right now resources, can make a forever difference for it in eternity for you and potentially for other people as well. 1966 was a monumental year. Anyone know why 1966 was a monumental year? England won the World Cup. There's another reason why 1966 was a monumental year. I was born in 1966. But there is a third reason why 1966 was a monumental year. It was the first year the UK had credit cards. 1966. 53 years we've had credit cards. And here's the reality. Now, the average unsecured debt, not your mortgage, but unsecured debt per household of people who are in debt is £21,000. We have higher debt in the UK than in the USA and in Europe. There are more credit cards in circulation than there are people in the UK. Debt affects every age. The middle age who dreamt of financial freedom for retirement. The 15 to 25 year olds. Only 6% of them say they manage their money on a fixed budget. 2 in 10 say they're going to cross their fingers and hope their money doesn't run out. Two thirds are encouraged to take credit cards they can't afford to service the debt. Millions of teenagers are planning to fund their lifestyle by cards, overdrafts and loans. And can I just say, if you're in debt, there are lots and lots and lots of us who have been or are in that situation. And here in this church, we want to help each other on that journey. There are lots of reasons why it happens. It happens to us. It happens in spite of us. It happens sometimes because of us, but we end up in that situation. And can I say, most people want to live lives of generosity. 
where they're not enslaved to, to money and to debt. We want to help you in that process. We have people here in the church, connected to the church, who'd love to come alongside you. And maybe the first step you need to take in this habitude of money management is to get some help with debt. We'd love to do that with you and for you. But you know, we want to react to this situation, not with fear or panic, but we want to turn to what God teaches in his book, the Bible. And we want to get our attitude and our habits right. Money is a means to an end. It is not an end in itself. You see, I want to turn my stuff into stories, don't you? Like, like at my funeral, nobody is going to talk about, nobody's going to talk at your funeral about the car you drove. No one's going to talk about the house you lived in. No one's going to talk about the wardrobe that you amassed over all the years. What they will do is they'll talk about the way you lived, the way you loved, and the way you gave. I want to turn the stuff that God has given me into stories. That's how I want to live my life. And I think your money would say, hey, you know, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. Number two, I think your money would say this. I'm a better servant than I am a master. Let's go to a verse in the Bible. This is Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, let's look at that verse in another translation, the Passion. How could you worship two gods at the same time? It's like a rhetorical question. In other words, you can't. You'll have to hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't worship the true God. Not it's difficult, not it's a challenge. You can't. You can't worship the true God while you're enslaved to the God of money. One more translation, the message. You can't worship two gods at once. You're getting the point here, aren't you? Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. You see, your money would say, I'm a great servant. I'm a terrible master. Terrible. But you say, I'm not a slave to money. Really. I think this is what we say. If only I had more money. Anyone ever said that, honestly, time? I think what your money would say was this. If only you had more self-control. See, see, we say, if only I had more money. The idea in our head is that if I had more money, I'd be able to manage it better. Which is a complete false assumption. Your money wouldn't say, no, 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 you need more money. Your money would say, actually, you need more self-control. How do you know if self-control is an issue for you? And now I'm gonna, I, when I said this at the 9.30, I, 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 sat, I heard myself say it, and I thought, you really old bloke. Like, who says that now? Here's what I said. Can you wait till you can afford it? How old does that make me sound? See, my generation, anyone under me, this was alien to us, but the generation above me and above that, we know what that was about, don't you? Can you wait till you can afford it? If you can't, maybe money is your master rather than your servant. Maybe you have a self-control issue. Are you thinking of how to get more money quicker and easier? The kind of get-rich-quick kind of ideas that there are around. I think there's an issue of self-control often there. Is your happiness and sense of inner peace connected to what you have or haven't got? So are you content because you have and then not content because you have not? Is it connected to that? Because if it is, then maybe the identity is a reflection of who really is in control of your life. You see, our self-control determines who gets control. Our self-control determines who gets control. Do you have money or does money have you? 
I wonder, is it easier sometimes for us to trust Jesus with our sin, our sorrows and our struggles than it is to trust Jesus with our stuff? Is it easier for some of us to say, hey, Jesus, thank you for what you've done on the cross for me and, and thank you for this and I trust myself into your hands, but money, I've got to sort that out myself. Who really is the master? Here's another verse in Matthew chapter 6. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. In other words, live with right habits. Live with right habitudes in your life and he will give you everything you need. What Jesus is saying there is if you put him first and live right his way, he's going to kind of sort out the rest. Not that you won't have to do anything, but he's going to sort out the rest. Let's look at this verse and a few other verses from the message translation, give it a bit more context. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'd attend to you? Take pride in you? Do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works. So, some of you may say, hey, that's me. But most of you will probably say, hey, I know God. Well, this is to you. People who don't know God and the way he works, and fuss, they fuss over these things. But you don't, do you? But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Isn't that beautiful? And that's Jesus saying, hey, there's a way to manage your money in such a way that you don't have to be awake all night, sweating, panicking, fretting. You don't have to think about hundreds of different things you can do to get rich quick. You don't have to do that because you're not serving money. You're serving Jesus. So important. And if you have not surrendered what you have, you have not really surrendered at all. Okay, some of you are starting to think, this is annoying me now. Like, if this is my money talking to me, I want it to shut up. But there's a third thing. Your money was saying, number one, hey, I, I'm not an end in itself. I'm a means to an end. Number two, I make a great servant, but I make a terrible master. But number three, your money would say this. What you choose to do with me speaks volumes about who and whose you really are. So, so here's the thought. What you do with money is the number one indicator of your devotion to Jesus. Right. It's not how high you put your hands in the air when we sing songs. It's not how much you jump around, which is all great. It's not, it's not how much you serve even. It's, it's not how much you tell other people about Jesus. That's all important. The number one indicator, I believe, is the way you handle the stuff that God has given you. That is the number one litmus test of devotion to Jesus. John Wesley, who's the guy that uh, 300 years ago or so started what we now know as the Methodist churches, he had a, a great habitude in his life and he framed it like this. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. I think for many of us, two out of three is not bad. <laughs> it's not multi-choice. Earn all you can, give all you can, or save all you can, and give all you can. But here's how most people practice the habit of money management. Here's what most people do. Spend first, save second, give at the end. That's most people on the planet, okay? So what we do is we spend. So that's pay the mortgage, um, buy the food, 
buy some clothes because we don't want to walk around naked, so we need clothes. That's good, good thing to do. Um, buy coffee, £3.50 a cup or whatever, six times a week, whatever. We, do, we spend, spend, spend. If we've got any money left over, maybe we'll save some. And if we've got any money left over from that, then maybe we'll give some. Maybe give to charity. Or if you're a Christian and follower of Jesus, maybe give to God through the local church. But this is me first living with maybe some leftover giving, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't that what this is? This is me first, spend and save, that's me. Spend me, family, save me, family, give others. So we're me first, two thirds, me first living with leftover giving. Is that world class? I don't think so. That's what everybody else does. And I think if you live like this, when you come first, you'll have a really difficult time saying no to you. You see, what happens is that eventually you are mastered not by you, but by your appetites. And Jesus wants more for us than this. Jesus wants a level of freedom, a living and giving that's world class. And so in the kingdom of God, I want to say, guys, and you may never have seen it like this. In the kingdom of God, this is what it looks like. It's completely the other way around. We give first, then we save, then we spend and we live on what is left. This is totally countercultural. This is totally the upside down. This is about not putting me first, but he first. This is saying, I am now. This is who and whose I am. I belong to him. Everything he has is mine. So I want to give first, then I want to save, and then I want to spend on what is left. A guy called James Clear, he said this, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. So true. You don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the levels of your systems. And some of you will identify with me and you'll say amen and you'll get stirred up at the end and your system does not reflect what your heart is wanting you to say. We need a system. We need a habitude. We need a mechanism of how we can live this thing out because that's what successful, excellent people, world-class people do. They don't just have goals. They have systems that support and attain those goals. So the way we want to develop this is simple. I want to give you three little things. So firstly, give first. If we go back to the picture, give first. What does that mean? When you prioritize something or someone other than you financially, it is evidence of submission, lordship, devotion, and worship. Jesus, I want to put you first. I'm going to reflect that by giving first. More than this, a habitude of giving first will lead to greater trust, a greater dependence, a richer and more intimate relationship with your heavenly father. That is ROI. That is a return on your investment, being free and having an intimate relationship with Jesus by giving first. And can I just say this? This is so important. I found this quote that I think I'd written in another talk on this and I lifted it in this morning. My need to give is always greater than the need I give to. My need to give is always greater than the need I give to. Listen, God doesn't need your money. Hello? He don't need it. You know, he doesn't. But you need to give. Because if we don't give, then we become small and we become tight and we become fearful. And that's not how, you see, God so loved the world. And the biggest thing in the whole thing of that isn't the fact that God so loved the world, but that he gave. You're never more like God than when you give. And your need to give, my need to give is always greater than the need that I give to. It says in Matthew 6 verse 21, 
for your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. So, so, so this, is, this is the whole thing. Giving first. Just, actually, I'm going to pursue God. That's where my heart, that's where my treasure is. That's the direction of my heart's devotion. So we're going to choose to give first and we're going to give to God. Where should we give to God? Listen, for me, it's always been this. I want to give to God first through the local church that I am a part of. And for me, for 27 years, for me and Alison, for 27 years in October, it's been this church. And so we give a percentage of our income to God through this local church. Not because I work for the church, not because I'm paid by the church, but because this is my family. And let me tell you why I give to this church. I give it because this is where I say I belong. I love the vision of this church, don't you? I love the vision. I love that a week ago, 10 days ago, we had almost 200 leaders um, from around the UK and Ireland in this room and we were able to help them and together looking at how do we build churches that more effectively reach those who are far from God. I love that. I love that yesterday we had over 200 young people who were here in this building, 100 of which responded to say, I want to give myself to reach young people who are far from God. I love that. We only get to do that because people like you and me give to God through this local church. This is where I say I belong. And if you say you belong here, give here. Give here because you're giving to God through the vision of this church. It's where you say you belong. Also for me, it's where I have skin in the game. Like for 27 years, our family have been brought up in this church. So my kids went to kids work and went to youth work. And Josh is now in young adults working. And and we've got skin in the game. And that means I want to give to this. Because the more we give to this, the more we're able to reach more people, which is amazing. But I also give here because this is where I eat. You see, you wouldn't eat at McDonald's. Well, I don't eat at McDonald's anyway, particularly. But you wouldn't eat at McDonald's and pay Pizza Hut. And if you say you eat here, if this is where you're fed spiritually, give here. And I read books and I listen to podcasts, but this is the primary place where I eat. And I I love the fact that, you know, um, on Tuesday night we'll have Connect Group and I'll be so excited to go because whenever I go to my Connect Group, I'm fed. Other people speak to me and I go away feeling full. That's because it's part of my family. And whenever I've been traveling the last few months, I've listened to every single other person's talk and written notes down. And when I'm down there and not speaking and somebody else is speaking, I'm writing down notes because this is where I'm fed and I want to give to where I eat. So we're going to give to God first through this local church. How much should I give? Listen, let me make it really simple. Give a percentage of your income. For us, we've always gone on the 10% deal, although now we currently give more than 10%. Not to show off, that's just where we are. We haven't always, but we do now. But listen, don't worry about that. Just choose a percentage of your income and give it. Maybe 10% is too much. Maybe five, maybe two, maybe one. But intentionally, deliberately, in a habitude way, start giving to God through the local church. And then when you do that, here's the thing. Pay attention to the internal tension it creates within you. And listen closely to the conversations you have in your mind. They will reveal what is really going on inside of you. So I want to give you a two-month challenge. For the next two months, start, if you're not already doing it, start giving a percentage of your money to God through the local church. You can, in the connection point, you can pick up one of these. We've got a leaflet with information. If it's all a little bit too complicated, just fill it in. Say, someone please talk to me jolly all these forms and somebody will meet you and connect with you and help you do that. But can I just say, for those of you that are giving, listen, thank you so much 
There are just over around 200 households in this church that give consistently in a way that we can track. We are so grateful to God for you guys, for the weight that you carry. We are able to reach the people we're reaching because of God, of course, but also because of your giving as well. But listen, that means there's lots more people in the church than those 200 households. Some of you haven't yet found a way to give consistently into the life of this church. I really want to encourage you to do that. And I'm going to say something quite strong now. I'm going to say to all of you, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, don't kid yourself. If Until Jesus is first in your finance, he's not first. You're not a follower, you're a user. That sounds really painful and really harsh. And you say, oh, that hurts. And in the words of my friend Paul Reed, who many of you will know, yes, it does hurt, but so does an endoscopy. But it can save your life. That's his quote, not mine, okay? And it really can. And so if you are not yet giving to God through the local church, I want to encourage you. When Jesus says, come follow me, that's part of what he meant. Come follow me. Live how I live. Live in such a way that you reflect whose you really are. Give first. Then save. Even if it's a little, save. And this was one for me and Alison that we weren't great at until a few years ago when we began to get to grips with this part. We've always given first and spend, but the saving bit was our challenge. And we've kind of got on top. We're all getting on top of that. And then spend. Live on what is left. And that is paying the mortgage and paying the bills. I'm going to just say about this. You need a budget. You need a budget. That's really important. But here's the thing. A budget is theory... What you actually spend is reality, isn't it? And so I'm challenged right now at the moment. And over the next two or three months, I'm going to go on a personal uh, uh, audit of my own spending. Because here's the thing that I've realized. Alison's known about this in me for ages and I haven't quite seen it. You see, our budget is the theory. The reality is what we actually spend. You see, we should all be knowing where our money is going, shouldn't we? We should all be knowing where our money is going. Your money, if it could speak, would say to you, hey, hey, I'm easy to track, but you lose track of me and you'll lose your peace of mind. So here's the thing. What would it look like if over the next two to three months, we tracked exactly what we were spending? And then at the end of that, we looked at it and we thought, okay, that's really how much I'm spending on coffee? That's really how much I'm spending there. That's really how much I'm giving away, really? And maybe we'd look at that and maybe we'd want to adjust in the light of what is actually happening. When you know you're going to record it, you'll be more inclined to consider whether you can afford it. Jesus, we want to honour you. We want to live in such a way that is free and centred and impactful for our world. Give first, save second, spend on what is left. I want to invite the band to come back up and just hold the screen. Managing our money God's way is about the condition of our heart, not the state of our bank balance. Listen, if you say, oh yeah, Leon, that sounds great. When I get more money, then I'll do it. Listen, that is never, ever going to happen. What we've discovered is the more money we've got, the harder this is at times. Statistically, people who have more give less in terms of percentage on average. This is nothing to do with how much money you've got. This is to do with what you do, with what you have. Money, managing it God's way, is an act of faith. It's an act of trust. It's an act of devotion. It's not about paying church bills. It's about the transformation of lives. 
Those we want to reach for Christ and our own lives. I want to challenge you this morning. What would it look like for you to become the most generous person you know? What would it look like for you to honour God with whatever He's given you and to give to Him first and to save a bit and then just look at how you can live in such a way that is not only spending, but also the rest of the money has been open to God. See, for us, we give to God first. That doesn't mean the rest of it is ours. The rest of it is His. We're managing it. And we've got to pay some bills. And we want to go on holiday. And we are going on holiday next week. But then we want to say, God, who can you bless through us? We want to turn our stuff into stories. Today is July the 7th. Ten years ago today, my dad died. Many of you remember my dad. He was an elder here in this church. So 10 years ago today, I stood on whatever stage we were in in the church and led my dad's funeral. And I always knew my dad was an incredibly generous man. But I didn't know how generous he was until his funeral. When people came up to me afterwards and said, hey, you might not know this, but your dad did this for me. Your mom and dad did that. They gave me this when we got married. We couldn't afford this and they helped. Story after story. And I went away from that funeral thinking, I always knew I wanted to be like my dad. But now, God, I really do. Because I want to be a generous person. And, and it, it hit me again as I've been thinking about this. At his funeral, nobody spoke about the house we lived in, the holidays we went on, the cars he drove. They did speak about the way he lived, the way he loved and the way he gave. And it was a reminder to me, and it's a reminder now, 10 years to the day, that that's how I want to live my life. And I want to call you guys to come live that life too. Because it's the best life you can live. It's where you give God first. It's where you then look out for how you can bless and how you can extend God's kingdom and how you can bring the adventure of giving. And I want to say the biggest reason for me, the biggest motivator for me to want to live like this is for what He has done for me. And there's an incredible hymn that I love. And the last line says this, Love so amazing, so divine, demands, and not demands in like a, you must do it, just requires, just it's a response, demands my life, my soul, my all. So I want to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to take communion together as we finish this series and this talk. So let's stand if you're able. And I'm going to invite you to come and, and communion if you're new to all this. There's four tables, two at the front, two at the back. And it's just some, a little bit of bread, gluten-free bread. And it's just some juice. And this speaks about the blood and the body of Jesus that was hung on the cross for us. God so loved the world that He gave his only son. God opened his heart. God, Jesus opened his hands. Jesus opened his side. Jesus opened his heart for us. He gave. He held nothing back. And that kind of love, that kind of love requires, demands my soul, my life, my stuff, my all. And so what we're going to do is we're going to invite you to come and to take communion. And we're going to sing a little chorus that I've asked the guys to sing. None of them really knew it. Like it was ancient when I heard it first as a teenager, okay? So some of you will have no clue what it is. But it's a beautiful little chorus. 
And it just encourages us as we take communion, as we think about money, as we think about maybe for some of you, the tunnels of darkness that you're in in your life, whether it's financially or otherwise. And this just invites us to turn our eyes upon Jesus and to look full into His wonderful face. Because then all the things of the world, the money, the stuff, the, 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 the mortgage, the, all of that, it will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And can I just say, you can have been inspired this morning, you can have been challenged this morning. If you do nothing with it, nothing will change. So don't wait until you get home before you start thinking about it. If you're going to do something about it, I want to encourage you. Go to the connection point. If you don't already give, pick up one of these and say, I'm going to do it. Commit. Turn, turn to, if, if you're married or whatever, say, hey, let's do that. Let's go on a two-month challenge where we give a percentage of our income. Let's go on a two-month challenge where we record what we actually spend. Then in two months, let's sit down and look at it and have a conversation. Let's go on a two-month challenge to how we could listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and give as God prompts us to others. What would that look like in two months' time? If we came back and had a conversation, how's the last two months been? Forgiving and saving maybe and spending and journeying on this incredible adventure of living life God's way. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you so much that you held nothing back, but you gave it all for us. And Lord, in light of that, I'm so pathetic, God, when I think about money so much and think about whether I can or whether I can't or whether I should or whether I shouldn't and, and God I it's just almost like just a lack of trust in you Jesus but God I want to say today and God we want to say today we want to live life your way we want to live life your way because it makes sense and when we live life your way God we reflect who you are to our world and we bring honour to you and God if our money could talk I think it would want to say, hey, do it God's way. It is the best way to do it. So Jesus, now as we take communion and remind ourselves of what you've done and who you are in our lives, we want to remind ourselves of who and whose we are. And God, help us to live this out, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, I want to invite you out to come take communion. If you're in this side, maybe come here. Just come and eat the bread, drink the juice, do it at the table or take it back, whatever you want to do. Guys, if you want to come this way, then in the back, there's two tables and let's worship Him as we do it.